Welcome to the podcast this week's license. The, 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 what's up, licensees? Yeah. This is an example of inflated licensure. This is there's too much of this. No one needs this much license. Because um, no one asked for it. Speaking of license, I was just, I just listened to the dollop. Do you ever listen to the dollop? No. It's this guy Dave Anthony and I can't Gareth something, but they they did a podcast on Uber, and it's hilarious and also. A pretty detailed explanation on why Uber's a horrible company. I mean, like how it started out, where it's like people. So there's a bunch of things, but they were, they were reporting on. But then beyond the, like the sexist remarks of the idiot founder, yeah. um, there's all this stuff around how, like, I mean, the founder is obviously a hyper libertarian kind of guy, and what they would do. Travis Kalanick. Yeah, and, and when when they would enter new markets, so that when they were entering a new city, like like they, they said they were talking to a driver in Sydney, Australia, and he's like, "Yeah, man, this job is dope. I get paid a ton of money. Um, and, you know, making I'm making a ton of money right now." And but they do that purposely. They make they give the rates at a higher rate when they first enter a market, and then yeah. have a mass crowding of employees, and then just slash rates like once once the market the employee saturation. That's so shitty. Yeah, yeah. So and then they have all this. They're basically they also have within Uber they have this leasing program for people that have bad credit and can't afford their own car, and they essentially lease them a car at a terrible rate, and and then just turn them into wait like. Uh, debt slaves, like uh, sharecroppers, yeah, basically. Exactly. Indentured servants that'll get you from brunch to uh, a bar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and also they. I th- I, this is what um, the uh, that fight that he got in that was like recorded. Yeah, like, where the guy was like, I lost like ninety. Yeah, and it was because they changed the policies for the car, whatever car mm-hmm. line the guy was driving. You had it had to be like, I think he went into extra debt to take on to he he somehow got some sort of predatory loan. Probably right. they got him the car that entitled him to start driving that route and then they changed it from under him there's like they're not even fucking employees so like obviously there's no sort of collusion about like policies or anything yeah, like that yeah, yeah. But it, it's, the, it's the furthest you could get from employee control of an organization or even employee profit sharing in an organization yeah. you know like it, it's total it's total disrespect and you know I, I read um Fast Food Nation back in the day. Oh, yeah. And um, one of the concepts they talked about. Morgan Morgan Murphy? Morgan Perlock. Perlock, yeah. Yeah. Was that? No, that was Super Size Me. This guy was. Oh, yeah, he just. Eric something. Super Size Me was inspired by Fast Food Nation or something like that. He just read. Well, if he was like me, he read Fast Food Nation and just got really hungry for McDonald's and decided (laughs) to make that. And he wanted to eat it for a month. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but anyway, so they talk about there's, there's like, they propose uh, the concept of like which is a better fast food restaurant than other ones, and the metric he proposes is like, well, let's judge them based on how well they tra- treat their franchisees, because some restaurants will do like what um, so like Subway is one of the worst offenders, where they open up a Subway right across the street from one, and then they oh yeah they're, dog they're like hamsters in a cage. By the way, the yeah. best one, yeah, White Castle. Really? Yeah. Apparently, they're very fair, or like relatively fair to their franchisees. Oh, really? And so my point is, is that yeah, like I often when I hear like a new like um, like lament against Uber, I'm like, oh yeah, they're really bad, you know. Like some of it is like you know like that that executive that was carrying around the rape file from the Indian like yeah. I mean that stuff's just like you're you're trying to get yeah. called out for. They're it. just like these libertarian like the tech nerds that don't understand like they they have they seem to have like they're they're unempathetic or so they like a 
amoral. Like they just think of things They're purely in terms. All of the, the, I'm I'm willing to accept that to some degree businesses are amoral. I I totally agree with the idea that there should be a sense of public magnanimity or you know right. some sort of public or um, at least ethics and ethics. Yeah, <laughs> but Uber though takes it a step further. But like you know, I don't think Lyft is like a moral company. Oh no, I'm not Lyft is just better. and I still use both. The, I mean, I still now I use I use Lyft a lot. Yesterday, so I started I using Lyft when this is my thank you for setting me up my chance to spike this volleyball <laughs> of uh, holier than that because I started using Lyft in 2000 whatever the fuck it was like 13. When they uh, Uber um, was um, some executive was caught b- recorded saying that like we already have a, if we were if we were to go after journalists we already have a plan and like a fund and tactics yeah. ready to go and it, it's like that's first of all that goes against absolutely I mean I, I may be willing to, they to a uh, permit a, immor- amoral business yeah. but that's against everything I think of yeah is, is right and also. Um, it uh, the, it kind of belies this the other t- uh, pra- tendency that Uber has had to basically represent more of like an organized crime syndicate yeah, than oh like yeah. a business. Like yeah. all of the, the – and they've spent more money trying to evade regulators that are probably doing relatively the right thing yeah. than most businesses have spent building their business. But that's the – this is the thought process of the Silicon Valley, like break rules, like move fast and like to be an, be an edgy outsider. Like uh, that's like – that's the – that's the end product of like that kind of like bit corporate business thinking where it's just like, well, why we can just move could because we're constricted by the regulatory state that, you know, may, maybe there are some draconian and stupid rules put in place, but like for, for asinine reasons, but there's also a lot of rules that are put in place for specific reasons because like, I mean, the reason why there is like essentially monopolies on taxi companies or like there's regional taxi companies or citywide taxi companies is because like when cars first came around, they had a similar problem where they just all of a sudden everyone's like, well, I'll just be a cab driver. Like, we'll just flood the streets and uh, everyone can be a cab driver and f- figure out transporting people. And they're like, well, this does a lot of things for traffic, for tearing up roads, uh, like, uh, um, what's it called? Like, like pollution, you know. Uh, what's that thing? What's, the, what's, the what's thing that thing? What's that thing? It's like, like, it's like thing. smoking that doesn't make me look cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pollution. Something uh, carbon monoxide from a from <laughs> tailpipe. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I think that's that's but, when I mean you'd you'd yeah. like to think that that is stuff that like the market could figure out like in terms of the use of the roads, like if there are a lot of, you know, if there are a lot of people driving cars unregulated, um, you'd like to think that the roads are getting beat up as much as they should be beat up, and that like I'd rather have the government be competently able to maintain them and like tax whatever it needs to yeah, but who it needs to to, to require to. Spend it as opposed to oh you mean like because it's privileging people that like can afford right, cash exactly. stuff. So who would you tax? Do you tax the platform? Do you tax because then they'll say, well, th- this actually leads into one of the points that I wanted to talk about that you talked about the Jimmy Diamond. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. because you know he was complaining about the high rate of corporate tax yeah. um, in America relative to other countries. Or do you want? Well, wanna, so yeah, well, let's, let's get into talk. that in a second because I want to. Well, I want to just say one last thing about Uber though is yeah. that because um, this is an interesting. I mean, there's so many different ways to, the, the thing I was, to take this. The thing I was going to say just now was um, that uh, I understand, and what I'm responding to is your thing about, like, this is the Silicon Valley ethic, you know, like, right. break rules, fuck everything. Yeah, yeah. I understand and appreciate that ethic to a degree, and I think that Uber, and then I and I think it's very self-righteous, overly so, to, another, to a further right. degree, and I think that Uber does a good job of illuminating the where that line is. So, I think that... We could have a debate about the relevancy of like 
you know, a law passed in 1920 or something to enshrine right. the t- the livery commission right. in some city, especially a city where it's really regulated, like here in D.C. Right. Um, but aside from that, um, and by the way, I don't think that um, we should be doing more at this point to protect drivers because I don't want people getting um, – building stable lives around revenue from driving because yeah. it's going to be gone in like 30 years. Oh yeah. And so like, even though like I would be, I think it's an accelerationist though. I think it's accelerating towards, well, anyway, we can talk about that later. Like, we talked about this last time about how once they automate truck driving, you're just going to see yeah. once truck driving becomes automated, there is going to be a massive like problem. Yeah. Company. Didn't you have some insane stat? Did, if you look the, it up, I think you can Google the map. Like I think it was the times, maybe Washington post that did this, but it was like, a reported journalistic outlet posted there, like each state, like what was the by volume, like who, what job occupation yeah. listed, what, and for something like at least sixty percent of the states, truck driver was the uh, was the most prevalent or like had the plurality of occupations like in in a state. So, it's like, funny that it's like also pretty much the same percentage of states that have like completely Republican owned. Oh yeah, it's just funny. It's like these like. Both of those facts are like the the last people to see the future coming. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like oh yeah. And the, this, we, I saw it, man. I saw it in real life driving through. If you drive from New York to Chicago, if you drive driving through on eighty through Indiana, you will be the only passenger car on eighty in Indiana. There's only trucks. It was kind of terrifying. It was a straight road, and it was just me and a bunch of just like eighteen wheelers. Uh, All and, nasty Gary. Yeah. Okay, oh god. Just and I, I really was tempted to, to go drive around Gary, but I wanted to continue. Living. living. <laughs> so, so I wanted to see, I'm like, I really got to see what like end stage, like horrible corruption and capitalism leads to. And then I was what, like, uh, what kind of, yeah, some like sulfur byproduct led Michael Jackson. Yeah. yeah. Super vitiligo. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what, I mean, I saw, you could see even just in, we got caught in traffic on the highway by Gary and you can just see, like you're looking out into it and you're just like, there's just like piles of just like sulfur and garbage and just yeah. like, it's just like, I'm like, oh my God, that like, that is like a nightmare <laughs> hellscape. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it goes to show, uh, and I know this as a Midwesterner, how myopic the East Coast is because they talk about Camden and Trenton and yeah. stuff and it's like, you guys haven't seen shit yeah, until yeah. you've seen Camden and Trenton's like. The, the kid that even they didn't want. It was yeah, called yeah. Gary. Yeah. Anyway, let me finish the point about um, oh, yeah, the, 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 the Silicon Valley's, like, smash rules, but then, like, when is it crossing a line into, like, basically immorality? Um, we can argue about the relevance of uh, this the TLC, but I think that there's some merit to the idea that if there's – we have the potential to summon a cab on a phone, and that's a better way of getting cabs. We should be able to do that. And the TLC and like any other like organized body is going to stand in the way of that, then to some degree, there is a public benefit uh, to pushing through, through sheer force of will, the ability to do that. Public benefit in the same way that there is a public benefit um, separated from a moral benefit or like a, you know, whatever, like yeah. a so- pro-social benefit to having infrastructure built, you know, like yeah. it, sh- it just works for everyone better. Yeah. So I, you know, if, if we are going to say that like Uber through this sort of legendary Carlisle theory style mechanism was able to push through those regulations, I think that that is a good, um, where it gets to be like, now you're just a piece of shit is that, None of that, none of that involved. It was it was ruthless capitalism. None of that involved any kind of profit sharing for the people that worked there. Right. There was no, you know, they're trying to build this this company and make it as big as possible, and yet that never included the idea of actually 
giving Uber drivers a stake in the company. Can you imagine what the state of Uber would be if drivers became like a fi- the face of the company instead yeah, of fucking yeah. Travis Kalanick? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think that's what I mean. That's what Juno tried to do. I think Juno might have. Did they go under? I, don't I know. think the Juno. Yeah, like, is that a regional thing or is that? A it's national? in New York. I mean, and I got it because. And then this is another short sightedness in the face of Uber because. Uber and Lyft, the, the, if you're selling the platform, right, if your business is this platform where you can essentially, you just have an advanced phone that has a, a GPS that tracks cars that are available, which even now in New York City, cabs have, I think it's called Get, or Curb, sort of, yeah. Curb or Get, or whatever. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, so, yeah, but so that's my point, is that, like, if you're if you're only holding on to, the only intellectual property you're holding on to is just this, like, GPS map locator that's... Then you you're not really cornering a specific market. Like you don't they have, have algorithms for stuff yeah. too, and, they, and I think I think mostly what they offer is they subsidize rides. So it's a matter of like, it's just a it's a absolute fucking Pinkerton ass race to the bottom. Like right. they they're blowing all this money. That's why they had to, they had to leave Russia recently. Right. They had to, they sold it to their rival. They had to do the same thing in China last year because they just the basically what they're the what, to your point they just bring this kind of pretty widely available and not that hard to reverse engineer technology into a market and then just spend yeah. like insanely to just undercut everyone else. And sometimes they can't, there's a limit how much they can do that. Well, well then I'm saying then why don't we just, I think the end stage of this or the way that you do this in a proper like functioning social democratic way, maybe it's financed by, you know, if we, if we all collectively determine what, you know, through our representatives and local government and all that stuff, you determine that, Okay, well, like we can have this many all the all the New York City cabs. We can add a, a number to our fleet that also have you know, they, and they go the drivers are properly vetted and all that good stuff. And it's just like the the platform is just licensed out, like the public platform to the city. So it's like a, a city says, okay, we're gonna like put a public put a public bid out there, and Uber and Lyft and whoever can compete for our New York City's like ride ride sharing and ride uh, program. And we'll just like we'll maintain the regulation on it, and we'll you know like the drivers that all drivers would ha- would have an opportunity. Maybe they could bargain for like some kind of collective ownership or something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah, but like that, that, I think that's the way it would it should be done. Because uh, like, like you said, all all these companies aren't going to race to the bottom. But like w- at what point we're still going to want it? I I still am going to use that service. You know, I, I still use cabs, and I used cabs previously. It's just made calling a car service easier yeah. and cheaper. And, 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 and to the, to your point too, yeah. I mean, that is a good idea. They, they should just somewhat not, what's the municipal version of nationalize de Blasio has <laughs> <laughs> like uh, city, 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 city eyes. Eyes, uh, they should sit ties <laughs> that totally because, you know, and, and the whole mythos of ride sharing, um, is that you're tapping into sort of like idle productivity lying around society, right. right? Like, hey, if you're not doing anything, you can go do Mechanical you Turk use, yeah. or you could, you know, whatever, drive your car. And um, and this would be even more of that. It would just expand. Instead of creating these totally artificial uh, competition lines between these companies that do the same fucking thing, right. yeah. ha- tap in even more fully to society. And, um, yeah, I, I and, you know, Uber specifically, I think that in order to continue to try to differentiate themselves – They've they've tried to um, sell what I've seen called the Ponzi scheme of ambition. So right. like you know, a Ponzi scheme is like you take in money here and then you use that to, to like as soon as someone asks for this money, you're like just go to someone else to get the money to pay it off. Right. So whenever someone calls on you, is like how's that going? You have to go higher to get what you're to you know to find your explanation. And right. so Uber has done that with like we're gonna innovate cabs, and then all of a sudden everyone else is innovating cabs, and you look at Uber and you're like, hey, you're losing like. 
four billion dollars a year, right. literally a billion dollars a quarter. What are you doing now? Uh, uh, no, what we're actually doing is we're getting ready for you know self driving cars. Right, we're right, we're right. gonna connect, be the platform. Didn't and the then, guy who was the engineer for the self driving cars for Uber kill himself? I, I think it. I I think that might he must have been really bad at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like not in the self driving. That's not a wall. <laughs> one of the funniest rumors, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it is a rumor. I think that the guy who invented Segway died when. I uh, think that's of true. his Segway rolling. Yeah, off he rolled. Cliff. He just drove it off like a cliff. And did he really drive did. it off or did it roll off? Uh, Both are funny for different reasons. I think he yeah rode it off. Whatever, whatever you do with the Segway. I mean, put it this way: like George W. Bush falling on a Segway, <laughs> like that is that's like so far still the funniest because it's basically impossible to fall on a Segway. But. I know. Anyway, so let, let's talk about um, the first thing we wanted to talk about was uh, was this pretty closely related topic of. Uh, well, it's a lot of things. It's neoliberalism. Oh, I'm, by the way, 15 minutes is the intro. I'm Brian Pisano. <laughs> okay, I'm Lennon DeFranco. What's up, what's up licensees? Rapping at you. Shout out to whoever. There's oh, it's either a computer ISP or like an ISP that's running through Boardman, Oregon. But for, to our four listens in Boardman, Oregon, what's up? I want to. We will come to it. We will start a Kickstarter and do a live show of this in Boardman, Oregon, if we can raise the funds to do it. it and also shout out to your fans in Djibouti and Azerbaijan, as usual. If you're hearing a loud bassy sound, that's Brian emphatically touching the computer that we're recording okay, on, sorry. in the hope that one of you Oregonians is either Phil Knight or Matt Groening. Um, <laughs> tap, but yeah, you tap back if one of you is uh, running a major company or invented The Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, either of those are great. But we would like to meet Matt Groening, probably preferably. I think of those two, I'd rather meet Matt Groening. <laughs> I don't know. Phil Knight would probably have some interesting stories. That's true. And like about We all hear about the time that he lived in the car. <laughs> I feel like that's always the... Uh, he's always talking about the car. Yeah, I know. That's, that's always the... Heck, like what, I mean, my parents, are, they're like, well, the start, guy who started Nike, like he was selling shoes out of the back of his truck. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, um, right, I'm going to drink one of your beers. Yeah, go for it. Do you want one? Uh, hmm. I'm debating because I went... I went super ham last night, um, but uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I'll have the. Let's run. These are good. This is great radio, by the way. Yeah. All right. Um, do you want a koozie? No, I'm good. I'm gonna have one because I got a new koozie. Cheers! Uh, cheers, cheers, Djibouti. Um. All right, so we're talking about. Um, do you want me to start off talking about the uh, the uh, the Jamie Diamond thing? Yeah, let's talk about that. Yep. All right, so I read an article um, from I forget when it was from, but it was relatively CBS recently. News, I think. Well, yeah, but CBS I think it was reported on it. Yeah, it was basically recently. Jamie Diamond was on an analyst call and said, um, "I'm going to be a broken record until this gets done. We are unable to build bridges. We're unable to build airports or inner city school kids are not graduating. But we have become the most one of the most bureaucratic." confusing, litigious societies on the planet. It's almost an embarrassment being an American citizen traveling around the world and listening to the stupid shit we have to deal with in this country. And, you know, at one point, we all have to get our act together or we won't do what we're supposed to do for the average Americans. It's a shame to be an American. Almost a shame to be an American. Got almost a shame to be an American. Uh, worried about the, uh, the, the the stupid shit that we have to deal with. And obviously we're all feeling that. And my the thing, my main takeaway from this was like, this is the same frustration that we hear ref- um, attributed to various different energe- energized polities, right? So right now, the thing that's like sort of trending and sexy is like 
the left, you know, made up of this, um, the sort of Chapo model, uh, or like the Bernie, the Bernie people, Bernie uh, bro. the Bernie bros. And, and we kind of think that because they were very, um, visible and activated and also defeated that like these, this is where the most energy in, in the society lies. But the truth is, Jamie Dimon is probably in many ways could not be more far from that. He's like, yeah, he's an urbanite. I think that if you were to divide the country into like rurals versus you know creative class urban elites, which yeah. which is a viable model of division, yeah, you would put you know Felix Biederman and Jamie Dimon relatively in the same half of that right, divide. Right. Yeah. But other than that, in terms of their politics, they're totally night and day. Even though Jamie Dimon is a registered Democrat. Uh, yeah, but, but that like, just goes to show yeah. what the you know Chapo's point is. Like right. this is what this is totally meaningless. Yeah, the Democratic Party, which is, is history. I mean, it's hard to explain to people. Too, I try to explain this to people all the time. Where um, I'm like, the Democratic Party like has its roots. We talked about the, touched on this a little, not to distract from your point, but the Democratic Party. I was explaining to Rob, my uh, sister's Belgian boyfriend. I was like, yeah, like the Democratic Party is just kind of falling apart because it, it had built coalitions previously. But it's always kind of had roots in kind of a corrupt model of just building coalitions of people. Like, like, I mean, look, the Democratic Party in New York City is certainly that. Like, everyone, every Irish person in New York from 1865 to 1890 was Democrat because they got off the boat and they were like, hey, here's a job, here's a, here's a house, here's some, here's a place where you can set up your family. Also, you're voting Democratic in every election. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, certainly in the uh, yeah. in Chicago, the Chicago yeah. machine was Democrat. I wonder if there's something about. We were also talking relatively recently about LBJ and how LBJ was actually a very savvy legislator right. because he was able to get, you know, the necessary uh, whatever uh, earmarks for his district. Yeah, and he, people didn't like him, but he yeah. was effective well, people, at it. People in so. I'm a big fan of Robert Caro's work. He talks about this in his book, The Passage of Power, and all his other Lyndon Johnson series, those tomes of uh, th- thousands of pages of books. Um, but they're great books. And he talked about it. He's like, look, people – when I finally went to West Texas and got to know people in West Texas who were at that time pr- prior to – you know, in the 30, 20s and 30s were the, like the poor, some of the poorest people in the country. And – Lyndon Johnson knew that he, and he was an asshole and he was steamrolled a lot of people in his own district and people didn't like him and he was a jerk, but he understood that like, Hey, if I can get this thing for my district, which was a hydroelectric dam, he basically pestered FDR to the point where he's like, give me the dam. Like we use these. Give me the damn dam. Give me the damn dam. dam. Give me the damn dam. (laughs) I'll say you fucked a pig too. (laughs) Did you ever hear that? That he, his LBJ's like when he was running for Senate one time, uh, he was losing, and he was like about to lose the election, and he and he just said, "Let's just say that this other guy, like that, he was caught fucking oh, yeah, yeah, pigs yeah, yeah. or something." And they were like, "That's not true." And he's like, "Let him say that." Yeah, yeah. And, and now the, he's LBJ. Yeah, and so he, so again, a guy who was kind of, um, you know, clearly not he didn't give a shit about other people, and he was aggressively like aggressively po- political, and was a sexist and was a racist person. But even in spite of those things, that he he said, "All right, well, people in the West Texas, I." I put a tangible thing. I turned the lights on. These yeah. people did not have power. I got them the damn. They said he turned the lights on, and that's what we remember. And like, and the same thing with it's like he was a racist person, but 
he signed civil rights legislation into being because he's like you, you know what he knew knowing like, that he was going to lose the South so. right exactly knowing that he'd lose the South but like long term understanding the political nature and he's like I'm giving people rights like I'm giving people like what they you know, and, and, and I think that there's a certain to a certain degree I like valorize that model of like just get it done politics and, yeah. and, and it's kind of exclusionary of the purest model of politics which is um, you know resents what they disparage as incrementalism right you know or like the art of the possible which is sort of like a they, they like would be seen as like a Hillary Clinton bullshit saying right right um, but yeah I mean like that, that's that is the way things actually get done and and to just finish what I was going to say before about um, I don't I, that's an interesting question by the way uh, why is it that the Democratic Party is more historically amenable to sort of um, corruption on that level, like what, what was Huey Long a Democrat? Yeah, he yeah, was Democrat. He was like, that was that was when everyone in the South was Democrat. Yeah, then. he was a Democrat. And in 1935, our honoree took a bullet for Huey Long. And it was also, but like you know, chicken in every pot speech, great yeah, orator, yeah, person totally. that understood politics is power and understood that kind of stuff. But it was also a hyper corrupt person. Yeah. <laughs> it was ultimately. <laughs> we, we probably couldn't answer that question about whether there's something endemic in the Democratic Party that leads to that without addressing the fact that it used to be a you know primarily Southern. I also and like Nelson to... Rockefeller was what a Republican was. Yeah. I also want to cut. Nelson Rockefeller was like, and even spawned Rockefeller Republicans who are like more. What we think of as maybe you know, Republicans in the Northeast, people who are fiscally conservative, but have like a little bit, which is kind of well, also wrong. gentlemen conservative. They were like, yeah, but there's also wrong because it's like, I mean, like, uh, yeah, say that facetiously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they were like, they, they like to pretend that they're progressively like social on a lot of issues. But I mean, I think the people of the Attica prison riot would have something to say about <laughs> the governorship of Nelson Rockefeller. So yeah, so I guess so again back to Jamie Dimon. He says this thing where it's embarrassing to be and, American yeah, and. and um, he, he he is, represents a class of people similar they, uh, to like the urban elites. Yeah. I, so I, I, here's, here's my point. Yeah. So we have this Jamie Diamond thing, and like he he's angry and he's pissed off. And I look at people on the left, and they're angry and they're pissed off. And it reminds me. And I think I've said this before, but one reason I I am confident that I that it, the problem isn't just that there's no honestly leftist politicians in the country. And that's why they lost and are going to keep losing is because that's the same prognosis that uh, – or diagnosis that the Tea Party had in 2012 when Mitt Romney wasn't conservative enough. Right. And everyone just defaults. Like if you lose, it, the easiest thing to do is to, to fall back in and get angry and, and like just say that you would have been right. And if only you were people listened to you more. It's Monday morning quarterbacking yeah. basically. Yeah. It's counterproductive. And what the Jamie Dimon thing sort of showed me was like – Man, everyone is pissed off. I mean, the reason is very clear. Like, we have a lot of – he says it in the clip. Like, there's a lot of gridlocked stupidity. We are not doing anything rationally, let alone intelligently. Yeah. You know, um, like, if we were to start – do try to do healthcare and start with a clean piece of paper, yeah. it would be fucking great. We oh, would yeah. look at fucking Singapore's healthcare oh, yeah, system. Yeah. Or, you know, and, like, figure out how to how not to have or the pitfalls of Canada. Or Canada. Or like, I mean, Canada's is pretty good. It's better healthcare than we have. Yeah, I mean, it, it, on a mass scale, but the point is, start with with an actual empirical, logical process. Don't be um, uh, at committed to the idea of uh, partisan, you know, uh, allegiances, and um, and 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 so my, my the ultimate point I wanted to make is that 
Every, you're you're kidding yourself if you think that you're the only one that is angry or has a solution because Jamie Dimon does too, and yeah. he's every bit as as pissed off as you know someone that's like you know some democratic socialist. Uh, yeah, activist. but like, but okay, he has a right, but he's pissed off for different reasons. Like he's he's basically a, a, like a minor, but he's a prince of New York City. Like, I think, he, I think he, that it's, he, he runs. I mean. He's a, he's a global oligarch. Of yeah, course, he's, he's, yeah. He's, I'm not he, saying. He's, I mean, he's. The, I mean, he likes to take credit for essentially J.P. Morgan Chase being the reason why we only had the Great Recession and not the Great Depression. You know, he he's you know he's totally valorized. And did you see the or read um, uh, Too Big to Fail? No, uh, the Sorkin book. Um, I read Hank Paulson's account, which in which Hank Paulson comes out looking great. Yeah. Um, uh, but he, Jamie Dimon, easily comes out as kind of like the of all the bankers is the protagonist of them, yeah. uh, and Dick Bold being the absolute antagonist. <laughs> um, and, and Chuck Prince too. Who uh, there's in in, um, in uh, Paulson's book. There's a scene where Chuck Prince, who's the the um, guy from Citigroup, the CEO of Citigroup, before the recession, tells Paulson, "Hey, we know that these subprime mortgages are." Uh, or, or like the, the whatever whatever like CDOs they were making with them are toxic. We can't like, but we can't stop doing it. We can't afford yeah. to. You have to regulate it because we can't afford yeah. to do it ourselves. Yeah, and then it, then it all blew up. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> and then there's a, so in the HBO like, of course, uh, um, Ben Bernanke is played by Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> he is, and, uh, and so he's like, so he's like, well, if we we have a, like, it's we like, well, gotta ease that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, he's like. Well, they even said in the journal today that it's like we should just take all the surplus housing and light it on fire. <laughs> As he said, like meeting with this like morning breakfast with Hank Paulson. Um, but and then also the last thing about that is that Jamie Dimon is valorized in that even further because he's played by Bill Pullman in the HBO series. So it's oh, like yeah. he gets to be played by the guy who played the president in Independence Day, and so he's like even seen as this like kind of more like safe. Like, like they totally yeah. Steve Buscemi should have played Jamie Dimon. Oh yeah, yeah. Just, actually, no, he's like he's a protagonist in Boardwalk Empire, isn't he? I think it's kind of a mixed. I think it's. I think he might be a more of an anti-hero. I don't know. Uh, I don't know well, they should have had him played by some other uglier random, yeah, random yeah. dude, and that would have done. That would have. Uh, but uh, and I, and point, look, I'm not. I'm not saying that Jamie Dimon has a particularly lucid like view on what would help the most Americans succeed. But he knows that something's wrong. We all know something's wrong. I think that the the frustration that he has sitting on the top of the society with the fact that. Partisan gridlock is so uh, ineffective at yeah. doing anything. Yeah. Um, the frustration that he has that his car that he's driving is not going fast enough is seen from uh, the perspective of rich people who went to Yale's view of the right. underclass yeah, yeah. and what would help them. And they're seeing it as an opportunity to exploit. Like there's no leadership. We have no – the political class has no idea what it's doing. It's totally fractured. Right. This is our moment to exploit. They're, they're both looking at similar tensions. But the point is um, I think I think what my, my main takeaway with the point that I'm making is it's very – I'm very aware of the pitfalls of different uh, – political movements in our modern American society getting energy and then fading away. Yeah. It happened to evangelicals under Bush. They're relevant for a while. They're the loudest, most visible party, and then they kind of go away. Yeah, they just yeah. get subsumed. Yeah. The energy dies. And partly, it's. Be, I think it happens when they get their guy elected, you know? Yeah, because um, well, they're just like, well, we got our... Well, I mean, it kind we, of it happened with Obama. You mean, like, sort of, well, Obama, I don't think... Re- that Obama turned into a totally 
you know, me like competent to mediocre, fair, fair to middling to, to to good, probably good president. He's like a he was a game manager. He was yeah, a, he was a game manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, didn't, he didn't throw that many picks. Yeah, and um, and but you know, another better example of that is the Tea Party. Yeah. They they stormed in on a on a wave of distrust uh, of the government and whatever whatever the hell they say they did. I mean, just because he's black, and um. They basically had. I mean, it's like the simplest fuck. Like they, black guy, there's so <laughs> many yeah, black, black socialist. <laughs> yeah, we got to take this country back from. Like, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> the, the they they it's hard to you remember. Socialists who handed out millions and billions of dollars directly to banks. <laughs> you know who like who didn't even like sign up. Like no no holds barred. We'll just give you. We'll just turn on the faucet of money directly into the. Bank. Well, and also that like I mean the, the giveaway. There's so many giveaways. To, to that, which I know is a very contested theory, but like the the fact that like they literally could not let him do any of the actual government, like they could not let him look good for at anything. Right. Like there was no, yeah. it was a very personal antagonism. Again, the, the the inflicting of Obamacare on the on the ACA, um, but they it was hard to remember a time when Paul Ryan and Ted Cruz were these insurgents coming in, and now they had to run against their. Basically, yeah. logical conclusion. You know, someone yeah. who was being even more frustrated and inchoate than them, and they turned into the establishment. And so, the Tea Party totally rode a wave, was very vocal, and then they died out. And now, and they still exist. Well, like, they were also an astroturf campaign. That wasn't a grassroots political movement. All that was financed by Koch brother money, and it was, uh, you know, it was, and it was just basically Koch brother money and News Corp were just like, hey, why don't we just rile up these retirees who are mad about a black guy being president? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to accept, yeah, I, I've heard that, and I've heard that, um, who's the other guy that uh, spent a ton of money? It wasn't the Koch brothers, it was uh, someone else that, like, I don't know, some, some it wasn't like an adult center or something like that, but it was a, Peter, some financier. Peter no, 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 it, it was some congressional player, some, like, some insider that yeah. I don't know. I can't remember his name, but that that, that was an astroturf campaign. I don't really agree with that. I think that the Tea Party probably was rooted in real, um, tangible. If Fox News frustration, exist, do you think that the tea that's different? No, yeah. that, I agree with that. Yeah. I totally agree that Roger Ailes whipped up the the entire unaddressed, right. low information part of this country into a frenzy. Uh, that the Republicans stood by. I t- the rhetorical side of it, I totally agree with. Yep. In terms of like these people don't actually believe it, I I would dispute that. I think that the Tea Party may have had had backing and like at, yeah. you know like moneyed interests that wanted it to succeed. I, I know that that's the case. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that it happens to represent um, honest people who honestly feel that way. I feel the same way about the NRA, for example. Yeah, yeah. Like people talk about you know the gun lobby. As like the the main driver of all these insane NRA policies, and really, if you look at the way that NRA you turned one gun into five guns, (laughs) (laughs) let's just say, let's just hope the next place the next place he robs better have a (laughs) ram. I'm just kidding, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and like the the idea that they have. Uh, that like it's it's like Smith and Wesson or like Gun Valley or whatever that's supporting them is not true. Most of their funding comes from members, and I think that if you delude yourself into thinking that you can chop the you know the gun fervor, which has also been equally whipped up and manufactured and totally did not exist forty years ago in the way that it does today, with like yeah. you know, any, everyone who's not walking around with a gun isn't a patriot or yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. dangerous. Um, are you are you an open carry guy? <laughs> you I'm more like you and your fat ass friend. Did you see the video of like some some idiots in 
Texas or Kansas or something like that just walked into a Chipotle like with M16s just oh yeah because oh, they're like yeah. they're illegal and then out. they're trying to get arrested basically yeah, but just to prove that they're like look at look, look at the oppression we face is like as we as need <laughs> with our high powered assault weapons that we use to fight <laughs> nature's super animals so like the, there, there's gonna be tequila and the, the same way squirrel. that uh, Susan B Anthony strategically got arrested for voting. I want someone to strategically fucking massacre those guys yeah. with another AK-47 yeah. and then get taken to court and be like, listen, I also have a concealed carry li- or an open carry license. Yeah. And these guys reasonably pro- like posed a risk given that why else would you walk into a mall with a fucking with AR-15 a, yeah, yeah. and I shot them in self-defense and to, to carry – I mean to prevent everyone's – you know. Yeah, and like, see, see yeah. what the court says. Yeah, yeah. Like a good premise – for like a movie would be that what massacre at a gun show? Yeah, like would just be some kind of and there's two directions that it could be taken in where it could go in the direction of like defending the gun show people or defend like riling them up like being like the, well like the people at the gun show were actually able to turn the guns and defend against the attackers on well, the gun would, show. Well, obviously they would at some point, but yeah. it would, I mean. It would have to be. Some, it would, it's going to end up being some Michael Bay movie called like Thirteen Seconds or Thirteen Hundred <laughs> yeah, Rounds. Well, it's, it's like that. It's like the space between. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bunch of rednecks getting fucking shot and shooting each other. <laughs> Eventually, what would ha- actually, you know, what would be funny is that maybe it's a Sasha Baron Cohen style movie, and instead. It's like one accidental gun that goes off, and then someone tries to kill that guy, and then he misses and hits another guy, and then there's just a big oh, crossfire that yeah. involves, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and it's in the in the in the context of some massive uh, like tension that already existed politically at, at that NRA convention, right? Well, it's it's hard to, I, I can't believe that hasn't happened already. You know what I mean? I mean, to be fair, it would be really hard to shoot up an NRA convention because they all have guns. <laughs> Uh, but anyways hence the point but so you think it's more so you think these movements you think so you you and I disagree on that I think they're they're, I think they're more organic than than saying that they're astroturf I think they reflect real discontent um, and real you know you could say that the bigotry that they're that they're responding to or the the lack of information they're they're acting in response to is not based in facts but I don't think that it's not I don't think they don't feel it yeah uh, yeah, yeah, I guess they they feel it. I don't know. It's where I think that it's just. I think maybe America's full of a little bit of like spoiled babies. Humans are. You know, I want. It's like it's again. We're, this is a Simpsons re- reference heavy episode, but it's Grandpa Simpson walking around lamenting the decline of Springfield, and then walking into the Social Security office. He's like, "I'm old. Give me, give me, give me." <laughs> Everybody around here wants something for nothing, and then he walks into the <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, and, there, and there's actually like a libertarians that would that defend that and say, "Look, I'm a capitalist. If you're offering me money, I'll take it." You know? Yeah. But there's a um, a moment that I, if I'm not wrong, and this will be the first and last time I quote. John Stossel in a non uh, getting slapped by a wrestler context. <laughs> um, but I remember watching 2020 one time and I was like, this is a memory from when I was like five or six. And because it resonated with me. And he was doing a story on siblings that fought each, followed each other, which is like, what? Like, <laughs> this is how we ended up in a fight. McCoys or like, no, yeah. no, like, how, what to do when your kids are fighting. Like, yeah. this is why we're a stupid, decadent, yeah. dumb ass society because that's what we're spending news media minutes talking about is, is what to do when your kids are fighting with each other. And, and I remember that he wound up the report by saying, giving tips to parents, and one of them was like, 
Listen, when your you know kid says that they hate the other one, they're not, and you say no, you don't. You love your brother. No, they hate their brother in that moment. That's not authentic feeling. It's right. just that you know because they have no context and they right. don't. They're just and so, they're petulant children. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. Just, just like the adults who are consuming this media. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's a fair that's a fair critique. But I mean, it's a critique based on you know. High mindedness, and it just it doesn't fly that well in yeah. a, in a democracy. So yeah, I, it, it's it's salient and like it's what we all are, and you know it's kind of sad. Like people make arguments about the necessity of what kind of politics we have to have, and people are very cynical, and and because of that, we say we, you know we're we're okay saying like we have to be demagogues, you know, and yeah. it's like sad, but it's also you know probably accurate. Um, yeah, that's, uh, well, that's what I was trying to explain. As yeah, we'll we'll move on. But uh, the, I was explaining to the Belgi um, the other day. I was like, well, it's kind of in New York City. It's kind of interesting. Like they're like he's asking how I felt about De Blasio, and I'm like, well, I think you know his message is generally, and the way he wrote in on a kind of a populist wave as well was that like, look, we live in a city that's a, a divided city, um, but I think that there is also certainly a um, element of, and I you know okay, uh, the there's an element. And I guess it became increasingly relevant because de Blasio's campaign just relaunched today, or it's like it's officially his campaigning headquarters is open either today or yesterday um, for his next mayoral run. Um, and I said, he's, I don't think he's as good of an administrator. I don't know if he has the managerial skills that it takes. And I think just like New York City, the way it's constructed at this point is we kind of just we kind of just hope that we get a benevolent like all the best mayors of New York have more or less become like like been benevolent like the good ones have been benevolent dictators like they've just been people that are like had the true like kind of like a there's certainly a self-serving element to their their political life but they've also been like interested in like making, is the mayor the mayorality of New York that powerful uh, yeah, it's a strong mayor city. So the mayor has like can make. Is that a technical uh, phrase? Yeah. Or? So it's str- as opposed to it's not like the soft. I I don't know if it's called soft mayors. Soft dick city. So, yeah. So it's soft like, dick mayor. So you would in a lot of other towns, it's the city manager. The city council has more power, and whereas in New York City, the city council has less power and brings certainly brings city resolutions and city things to to the mayor. But the mayor has uh, like. A lot more control over the schools and over the budget and that kind of stuff, whereas the council in other soft mayor cities yeah. has. So that kind of stuff. But it's also he has to play ball with, you know, with Albany and like it's a, it's a big. So it's like the only way it can be effectively done is that. So like a, a guy like Bloomberg, even though a lot of people like are have controversial feelings about his policies, he was able to execute a lot of them because he was just this billionaire like prince who could who, well it's because he was a business per- like he yeah he ran a good tight ship though yeah i mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. i also had to have issue with some of his like politics but he i mean people that work in the city from you yeah uh which like what you uh podcast listeners don't know is that brian used to be like my go-to resource for like defending x policy of bloomberg whether it was the soda ban or Hiking. Well, uh, they can watch another topic, but it was like the soda ban was one of the moments when I did work there where I like most of the other like we were completely and I was a lower level and I only knew about it just like right before it came out and all that stuff. But we were so toned up. We were like, oh, this will pass for sure. (laughs) (laughs) The same uh, same idea that he had that, hey, you know what everyone in America needs 
to reduce gun violence is for me to tell them to reduce gun violence. <laughs> not having any idea how much everyone in the country did not. billionaire yeah. and he's from the East Coast. Um, but yeah, so that was a really so then when when the backlash came, which I was glad to, it was interesting, but I you know I still I stand by the soda ban and I stand by I think it's a huge public health crisis and ultimately will be a, a huge legacy to his. Uh, um, I doubt. Well, it's not gonna. I mean, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen, but I think it brought a public enough public awareness, which is the idea. They went, they yeah. they reached for it, and they were like, let's see if we can get this going, and then um, it didn't work. But anyway, so yeah, the so I guess it's just my point is that like I think that I, I think politics is administered by these people who can build coalitions of power, whether it be between, like, moneyed interests or actual, like, uh, like populist people interests, like, democratic interests where people are just like, hey, we've had enough. This is, like... Solve it. Well, uniting them is the, is the right. goal. I mean, yeah, you yeah. want to unite... You, well, wanna, you have to ride you, the populism to some sort of electoral victory and then, and then basically jettison it, yeah. I think. I mean, that, that seems like what most successful politicians have to do. Yeah. Get your ass elected and then figure out how to play the chess game once you're in office. And right. you're probably going to piss off your coalition, but... Maybe, you know, if they're lucky, you'll be good enough that you can reward them. But I think that's like, yeah, well, you reward them by saying, like, well, that's the thing is that, like, it points to, it's like, people, people couldn't point to Hillary Clinton and say, like, Hillary Clinton, who's been campa- yeah. campaigning for president since the year 2000, you know, or, like, since 1992, maybe, uh, for, you know, the entire span of my lifetime, everyone has speculated on her being becoming president. And, but at the same time, couldn't understand that it's like, hey, nobody can point to Hillary Clinton and say, like, she got me a job. She got me a house. She, like, she made my life better. She brought the factory to my town. Uh, those <laughs> slaves that worked in her house could say that. <laughs> that <laughs> was, when that story broke. When out. I saw the Sambos cleaning up after me, at first, I was threatened. Then some of them started to die of natural causes, I think, and I didn't feel so scared anymore. All right, on that topic, let, we, let's do like uh, just a quick five-minute blitz yeah. through this topic, um, and this is very aligned. Um, so the I have an issue with the, the the like the endless campaign cycle. Everyone has an issue with the endless campaign cycle we have, but the news hook that we have now is that the Republicans are trying to the Republicans, the Republicans <laughs> um, are trying to uh, basically they're, they're they're probably not going to pass a repeal of Obamacare, but they're still trying to do something. They're, they're trying to get through this issue that they said they were going to be getting to for seven years, and they had actually no fucking idea what the hell they were going to do. Yeah. Um, they really want to get to taxes. They just yeah. want to lower taxes. It's fine. Yeah. But that's what Republicans do. I don't agree with it, but, like, at least the, the compared to, like, massively expanding some murderous overseas bombing campaign or something, it's probably the least harm that Republicans can yeah. do in Congress. Yeah. Um, I mean, and also, like, that includes, you know, like, not taking health care away from 22 million people. Yeah. Anyway, my point is, um, there's this, the way the story is being covered right now, uh, we're speaking in, um, it's almost August, and uh, August of 2017, by the way, there's a midterm election in November of 2018. And the way that the, the window that they have to achieve these legislative victories is being covered as, is like, they have to get to them for, real quick right. before the campaign season starts. And no one's really stopping. And this is how, this is how you know that we have sort of like a um, defunct political journalism class that everyone makes fun of these bullshit horse race journalists that like oh, yeah. cover votes as opposed to policy as opposed to anything more substantial than that. No one's asking like, wait, why is it that they feel like we, you know, in in a world of so much gerrymandering, so much 
assured victory for this party that has literally is like three governor, three state houses away from being able to pass an amendment to the Constitution. Yeah. You know, because that's how much Republicans control. Why do they feel like they need to start campaigning goddamn 400 days before the election, you know? And it, it's unstated because they, and it's they built in. Yeah. And but they, it, it sucks. And like, it, you know, it should be people, people are, you know, like, like you just did, and probably rightfully so, can can lambast Hillary for being, you know, ambitious, and uh, which is, you know, you know, the sexist thing to say about her. But like, you know, it's laced with sexism. But like, she she was trying too <laughs> hard. Bring a little sexism on that and just bring a little sexism. There you go, slap the cupcake in this. Um, there you go, tits. <laughs> like, you know, they all are like that, and they're all these avaricious pieces of shit that don't have anything in they anything in mind policy wise let alone statecraft wise beyond i'm gonna have to st- the election just happened i'm gonna have to start campaigning again in five months yeah and so we have five months in which to do the actual job of governing right on very basic things like the budget that the country is going to operate on yeah including you know having to raise the debt ceiling which they have to do and all that stuff right it just it is we're trying to figure out like how did we get here how did we get trump was it russia was it hillary was that yeah. how about like start with the fundamental problems in our, in our system the 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 fourteen month campaign has to end. Oh yeah, they should. We should have laws like they do in Britain or France. We can't do that like, because we can't do that because it impringes on free speech laws. Yeah, that's true. They, the people have tried to do that and, the, and they ruled against it. Yeah. So I mean, like, we, yeah. So if it's constitutionally unviable to do that. It has I, to be a public outcry, but we know that the public is capable of outcry. That we have a president that is a public. Well, outcry. That's, I think the reason why. So people are always, and also the like, the economist who ha- loves to hate on Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but like Jeremy Corbyn is a good example of somebody who has been a lifelong kind of public servant and is is kind of a boring guy mostly. He's a good, generally good public speaker, but he's just like really interested in the nuances of like parliamentary politics and like and governing, and he. You see in a lot of his interviews from his early days as a member of parliament, he was talking about how he's like, it's horrible, the representation we have, the other members of parliament, Tories that are just like coming from dinners in their dinner jackets and stuffed stuff bellies, clearly getting their pockets lined with money from like corrupt influences. And he's like, I'm here trying to do my job for the people. And that's it. And it's like, that's kind of a nice, and people go watch that and they're like, oh, well, you know, even if you don't necessarily have the mind to understand his, or like, you're like, well, I'm not used to socialist politics or I'm not used to, like, redistribution or anything like that. It's like, well, he just, like, he clearly just is a kind of a boring government administrator who wants to do Which is what you want. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. I think people reacted. I think they, I think the America, what's gone on in America is that they think that they're like, well, to your point about this, they're like, America wants showtime. America needs a show and spectacle. And Donald Trump tapped into that man because he is a show person. Like, he's a show business guy. And, and he hit that vein real hard, whereas, you know, previously this this political media class that you're speaking about, they really got off. They, like, got off. They, when they first, the ascendancy of Twitter and social media platforms, they're like, this is the best because, like, we can finally have a voice to say all these things about, like, nerd prom and all this other bullshit that nobody else in the country, for the people who in Middletown, Ohio, who are just, like, watching people just put needles in their arm because they haven't had a, a real economy in 25 <laughs> to 30 years. You know, like, um, the, the, like the, the, but the, in their own minds, like, the, the social media platforms just, like, kind of created this circular reference and this bias that they, they just like jerked off to you. And, and that was it. So it's like, the, so they sat in their echo chamber and then they were like, well, if the campaign, uh, 
And then that fed into the vicious cycle of like, well, if we're always going to have media coverage, whether it be through corporate media or social media platforms or like YouTube or whatever it is, then we're always going to have people covering it and we're always going to be putting the show on. So the politicians will keep putting the show on and be like, hey, like we're doing an event here where I'll say either Hillary Clinton will say something stupid about earned income tax credits that nobody cares about or Donald Trump will put on a show about how uh, like, you know, it's like, oh, I mean, I, I ideally hate, like, that wouldn't be stupid. Ideally, you would you would allow because. Earned income tax credits are an important thing to talk oh, yeah. about. I, I agree, but like, but no, they are. I agree. I think they're a good a bipartisan policy tool that people use and can can be constructed. This is the this is the argument that I was saying before about it's it's sad, but I mean also I see why that people are like, don't talk about fucking anything. Just do what you have to do to get elected. But then how are the people that know about policy supposed to be able to assess who they actually like? Is it just all demagoguery? You know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, we, we'll have to leave it. I mean, this is a this is one of the many issues that ends in a question. Like, I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know, I don't know how how you how you offer the electorate how you play to both people who understand what it, what it, you're offering and and can appraise it realistically, and also people that you know feel emotionally so like they like they're being spoken to. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the the campaign question probably comes down to like figuring out how to eliminate money. Yeah. And, and you know keep donations to to something reasonable. Oh, yeah, I think campaign finance reform might be where where it starts, uh, yeah. which has to happen regardless of the length of the campaign season. Right, right. But it's certainly short. But anyway, yeah. um, all right. Well, that was uh, getting brisk. Yeah, great, great. Sewed. Uh, you know, again, shout out to Boardman, Oregon. All our fans out there. If you comment uh, again, if you comment Boardman, Oregon, what up? Hashtag neoliberalism. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Send you point zero 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 one Ethereum. Cool. Now it's Ethereum. I've huh? changed to Ethereum. I've also tapped the microphone again. Yeah, you keep tapping the computer that we're recording on. So yeah. Well, anyway, all right. We're gonna have mics soon. So all you yeah, know, look forward to that. We're getting mics soon. Yeah. So it won't be just my MacBooks uh, uh, microphone. So thanks again for listening to another episode of Infinity License, the podcast no one's asking for. But hey. We're asking for it. <laughs> uh, as the outro, um, what you're going to hear is the um, the Russian song that uh, Donald Trump starred in the video for. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was that guy's name again? Emin something. Emin yeah. Golergov. I don't know. Because Well, he was in it because it was like the... He was there with the, the Miss Universe pageant or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was in it because someone pointed a camera at him and said, do you want to keep... Do you want to be on camera? And he's like, yeah. yes. <laughs> he didn't even say the fucking... He says you're fired, and he doesn't even do it in his trademark way. He's such a bad. He's a good showman, but he's such a bad actor. Do you think it's just because NBC has like somehow he just licensed the, the, that the, out the, to NBC? The inflection is what because, they have a trademark. Oh my God, I just realized that Trump is crusty because he's just like licensed everything. Like he's just like <laughs> like you know it's like Krusty's like yeah. <laughs> like Krusty Burger, Krusty Burger, yeah. or also the the, uh, the mustache clipper or whatever. Like it's like <laughs> Trump is the same thing where he's just like he's like. Can, can we hot, like talking to his attorney? He's like, um, Trump what? is Krusty the Clown. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a that's an affront to Krusty. I love Krusty. <laughs> All right, have a good yeah, one. Yeah, fired. Yeah, fired. Wake him up right now. Emin, wake up. Come on. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Emin? Emin, let's get with it. You're always late. You're just another pretty face. I'm really tired of you.
You're fired. 